to build, what to build. Oh, come on, Lucy. Wow, you're a builder. You're a maker. You're a... <gasps> I got it! Tool call. Hammer. Hammer. Wrench. Wrench. Drill. Drill. Great job, Kapow. Great job, Kapow. Oh, no, wait, that's me. Great job, Lucy Wow. Oh, brother. Now all we have to do is turn this thing on. Let the show begin. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to Pflugerville. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's psychic is a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. Every day is a new adventure in building and invention. But luckily, I've mastered the art of the power nap, which means I still have time for projects of my own, like salami boards. This invention of mine combines a meat platter with a surfboard. Imagine riding a wave and also having a selection of ham ready to eat right under your feet. Ha! Pretty smart, right? Another project of mine I'm passionate about is this podcast dedicated to my favorite subject, invention. Why is invention my favorite subject? Well, because I am an invention. That's right. Lucy Wow invented me, and I invented salami boards. Surf's up with a side of mustard. Now, today's invention. Oh, sorry. Power nap. Where was I? Oh, right! Today's invention is the cellular phone. Cell phones are everywhere. We use them for everything. In fact, you might be listening to me on one right now. But not long ago, they didn't even exist. But before we go any further, let's take a look at how a cellular phone actually works. When you speak into a cell phone, a microphone turns your voice into electrical signals. A microchip in the phone creates a radio wave using that electrical signal. The radio wave travels through the air to a nearby cell tower, and that tower sends your voice to the person you are calling. Ha! The process is then reversed so that the person on the other end can hear your voice. How cool is that? Now, the history of the cell phone starts in the 1940s. Back then, phones had to be attached to a phone line or wire that kept you stuck in one spot. Wishing they could practice dancing while chatting with their grandmothers, engineers at AT AT&T built an experimental cellular tower in St. Louis in order to try out a new wireless phone. With only one tower, only a few people could use these mobile phones at the same time. And though these cell phones were technically mobile, they weighed 80 pounds and were bigger than a car truck. So much for dancing, Granny. For a long time after that, AT&T's mobile cellular phones were stuck in the car. The only thing that could move while still having access to a battery power big enough to power them. But then a company called Motorola came along and they had a very different vision. In the 1970s, a man named Marty Cooper was put in charge of Motorola's communication systems division. Marty had a crazy idea. He thought that cellular phones should be taken out of the car and put in your pocket. He believed the cell phone should be a personal phone. 
something that would represent an individual and not a place, like a desk or a home. Marty's inspiration was a cartoon called Dick Tracy, where the main character's watch works like a phone. Marty's mobile phone concept was so exciting that Motorola invested $100 million in it. Wow! Marty assembled a team, and together they designed and built a cell phone in less than 90 days. This original Motorola cell phone, called the Dynatac 8000X, weighed 2.5 pounds and was 10 inches long. Everyone called it the brick, or the shoe, because it was so big and heavy. A very substantial part of the brick was its battery, which weighed four to five times more than a modern cell phone battery. As heavy as this battery was, it only had 30 minutes of talk time before requiring a 10-hour recharge. But according to Marty, that was okay because the phone was too heavy to fold up for more than 30 minutes anyway. Ooh. On April 3rd, 1973, Marty and his team demonstrated two working cell phones to the media in Midtown Manhattan. Standing on 6th Avenue, Marty made the first official handheld cellular phone call in history. Reporters and onlookers watched as Marty dialed the number of his chief competitor, AT&T, and said, this is Marty, I'm calling you from a cell phone, a real handheld portable cell phone. People couldn't believe it. That public demonstration landed the Dynatac on the July 1973 cover of Popular Science Magazine. As cool as all this was, it was more than a decade before cell phones would become good enough to be used regularly. And even then, they were pricey. An AT&T car phone would have sent you back about $2,500, and the Motorola model would have cost about four grand. And the only thing you could do with the phones was talk. And if you drove through a tunnel, you'd lose the call. Because of this, while the phone companies kept innovating and improving cell phones, people started to think of them as a novelty, something to be used by the rich and powerful. Experts predicted about 900,000 Americans would be using the device by the year 2000. But when the new models of the cell phones came out, ones small enough to fit in your pocket that everyone could afford, the experts were proven wrong. How wrong? Well, by the year 2000, 90 million cell phones were in use. The rest, as you say, is history. As you know, the cell phone is more than just a phone now. It's a camera, it's a calendar, it's a TV, it's a map, and it's a podcast player. Cell phones have captured some of the most important moments in recent history, spread information to every corner of the planet, and brought the knowledge of mankind to your pocket. If you ask me, that's an invention worth celebrating. So go ahead, call your grandma, and start dancing. Oh, hi there! Welcome back to Pflugerville! It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's psychic is a lot of fun, but I love experimenting on my own as well. Like right now, I'm experimenting with my idea of a shoe garden. What's a shoe garden? Well, I buried a bunch of shoelaces in the dirt. I water them every day, and hopefully a bunch of sneakers will come sprouting up this spring. From Reebok roses to New Balance bushes, it's going to be the sweetest garden ever. Speaking of sweet, that reminds me of today's invention.
sorry, where was I? Oh, right, today's invention. Trick or treating. You know what trick or treating is, right? All over the world for more than a century on Halloween night, kids put on costumes and go around their neighborhood ringing doorbells and saying trick or treat. And then people give them candy. It's a fun tradition that people love, but it's kind of weird if you think about it. I mean, if you went around on any other day and rang doorbells while dressed as a zombie, you wouldn't get Snickers, you'd get in trouble. So how did trick-or-treating ever get started? Well, you can't talk about trick-or-treating without talking about Halloween. The two go together like candy and pillowcases. And Halloween can trace its roots back over 2,000 years ago. Living back then, in what is now Ireland, the UK, and Northern France, was a group of people called the Celts. The Celts had a lot of festivals, and one of them was called Samhain. Celebrated on the night of October 31st, Samhain was a festival that honored the dead. Celts would gather, light bonfires, offer sacrifices, and pay tribute to their family and friends who were no longer with them. But the Celts worried that all spirits would be attracted to the bonfires, not just their friendly ancestors. So they put out tables of treats in the darkness to draw unfriendly spooks away from the festival. But the thing about free treats is everybody loves them. So pretty soon, people began dressing up as ghosts, demons, and other scary spooks and sneaking into the dark to eat the treats. The tradition of dressing up for treats had begun. By the ninth century, Christianity had spread into Celtic lands and Samhain was renamed All Souls Day and moved to November 2nd. But no matter the changes, the tradition of dressing up and getting treats wasn't going anywhere. In fact, people decided to bring the tradition out of the dark and into the festival itself. So now the costumed eaters would go door to door, singing songs, reciting poems, and performing other tricks for treats. They called it guising. And it was so much fun that people decided to start doing it the night before All Souls Day too. They called this night All Hallows Eve. The Scottish word for Eve is pronounced Eve. And over time, the name evolved from All Hallows Eve to a simpler Halloween. In the mid 19th century, large numbers of immigrants from Europe came to America. And when they did, they brought their traditions with them, including Halloween. The only problem was that with everybody all dressed up and filled with sugar, people tended to get a little rowdy. Soon those songs and poems were replaced by pranks. And by the 1920s, Halloween was so out of control that towns across America decided they'd better do something about it. So people gathered together and created an organized, community-based trick-or-treating tradition where you could dress up and go door-to-door -door in your own neighborhood and get treats as long as you didn't pull any pranks or mean tricks. This new tradition was a big success. It turned out if a person has to choose between playing tricks or having a treat, they choose the treat. All of this came to a sudden halt though with the outbreak of World War II. You see, so many people had to help fight the war that there wasn't anyone around to grow and make sugar. And without sugar, there was no candy. And without candy, there weren't any trick or treaters. Luckily, the war ended and when it did, the sugar came back and with it, trick or treating. 
Although it is unknown who the first kid was who yelled trick or treat, by 1951, it was so common that it was said in a Peanuts comic strip. And in 1952, Donald Duck shouted it out in a Disney cartoon. And if Charlie Brown and Donald Duck are doing it, you know it's big. Today, millions of kids spend October 31st trick-or-treating. Hopefully they don't pull millions of tricks because Americans give out $2.6 billion in treats that night. Wow! The most popular candies given to trick-or-treaters are Reese's Cups, Skittles, and M&Ms. The most popular costumes for trick-or-treaters are superheroes. Well, for humans anyway. For dogs, it's pumpkins. Though, you never know. As we see here, traditions are always changing. Maybe this year, the most popular costume will be a mechanical pygmy goat. <laughs> I mean, just saying. Hello, my fellow supers. I'm Guy Neville. Or perhaps you know me better by my superhero name, guy o protector of Pflugerville. You know, a superhero doesn't just save the world. A superhero inspires it. Every person I meet, I heroically try to inspire to be the best, most super version of themselves they can be. After all, anyone can be super because everyone has superpowers, even you. You have the power of imagination, the power of creation, and the power of invention. With powers like these and a bit of willpower, you can do anything. Speaking of doing anything, today's super invention does it all, literally. I mean, when you're as amazing as guy o it's pretty hard to get jealous. But today's invention is so cool that I have to admit, it makes me jelly. I'm talking about the one and only... Green Lantern Ring. The Green Lantern Ring, also known as a power ring, is a piece of jewelry that allows the wearer to turn their thoughts and imagination into reality. They are considered to be some of the most powerful tools of the universe. See why I'm jelly? Now, in the DC universe, the emotions of living beings create energy. Each emotional energy has its own color, and these colorful energies combine to create the emotional electromagnetic spectrum, which is uh, basically a giant battery that runs on feelings and has a fancy name. This battery was discovered by the Guardians, a race of immortals who live deep in space. Now, the ability to control your emotions and desires to achieve something is called willpower. It's not exactly an emotion, but it does have its own color on the battery, green. The Guardians realized this green energy was very powerful, so they invented special rings that contained it and then gave them to brave and noble people to fight the darkness and bring the light of goodness to the galaxy. Because they bring light and use green power, these ring wearers' symbol is a green lantern, and they are called the Green Lantern Corps. The Green Lantern Corps has now been in existence for three billion years. There are 7,204 members, two lanterns for every sector of the universe. The primary function of the Green Lantern's ring is to transform the wearer's thoughts into physical things. This means the Green Lantern can think of anything, from a boat to a burger, focus all their willpower on it, and the ring will create a bright green version of it out of thin air. Ooh. So now that we know how it works, what all can these green lanterns do with their rings exactly? Well, to start, the ring can be used to fire blasts of green energy at your enemies. 
It can also be used to create green energy weapons, such as arrows or swords if energy blasts aren't your thing. The green ring can be used for defense, too, by creating force fields that protect the wearer and others around them. And since green lanterns have to protect living beings all through the galaxy, the ring is also designed for space travel. The ring creates a bubble around the wearer that not only can move through outer space, but is filled with whatever the wearer breathes. So, for a human Green Lantern, like Hal Jordan, it would be a bubble filled with endless oxygen. Now, how fast can this bubble move through space? Oh, super fast. We're talking 99% of light speed. That's one speedy bubble. And don't worry, unlike a normal ring, it won't fall down the sink to get lost because power rings automatically duplicate themselves when separated from the wearer. Because these rings can create anything a Green Lantern can imagine, the possibilities of what it can do are endless as the imagination. From turning its user invisible, to working like a galactic iPhone to contact other Green Lanterns around the galaxy, the list goes on forever. But as amazing as the ring is, like any tool, it's the user who decides the impact it has on the world, or worlds around it. It's only a super ring if it's on a finger of a super person who wants to use it for good. And fortunately for us, the Green Lanterns are sworn to do good. In fact, they have an oath. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. Sounds to me like that's a good oath to live by, even if your jewelry's only power is to uh, sparkle. Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Guy Devil's Power of Super Invention podcast. Come back next week when I'll be covering more super inventors and super inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? <laughs> it's true. There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with their mechanical pygmy goat cabal. Lucy goes big. And then she goes bigger. Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein's Story Club. That's a real winner. I'm in the club, so I get to hear all the stories. And you can too. And keep on the lights, folks. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein's Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville, or Lil Obi, send it to Guy at GoKidGo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is guy o signing off. Go Kid Go! Go Kid Go!